Hey, it's Casey. Fasco works as a bonus episode for you today. It's part of a custom podcast called Creativity Equation, a special series about science, technology, and innovation produced in partnership with GSK. But don't worry, we'll be back next week with another episode of Creative Conversation. I'm Julianne Pepitone, and this is Creativity Equation, a special series in partnership with GSK about science, technology, and innovation. There's an incredible amount of data being generated in our world every day, from wearable fitness trackers, to genetic data, to social media geolocation tags. These troves of data can help lead to the next big breakthrough but the sheer amount of it can be a fire hose that knocks you right over. How do you make sense of it all without getting lost in the deluge? That is where artificial intelligence and machine learning come in. They can help solve some of the world's biggest problems and answer important questions. How do you harness what you need, ignore what you don't, and stack up what you've learned to build a body of knowledge that can benefit those who come after you. GSK is one of the first pharma companies to build its own in-house artificial intelligence lab. They use it to find trends and patterns in genetic data better and faster so that treatment discovery efforts are twice as likely to succeed. The AI team includes more than 50 people, which will grow to 100 by the end of the year, who are working to understand problems that biologists haven't yet solved. They're led by Kim Branson, one of the top machine learning experts on the planet and GSK's global head of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Kim, when we talk about artificial intelligence in the mainstream, we're usually talking about consumer tech, like phone assistants and self-driving cars. What does AI look like when you're trying to find the next great medicine or vaccine? I think most people are used to then, those are all sort of AI as an assistant or an AI that's doing something for you. AI still does things for you in a farmer environment, but the thing it's doing for you is sort of helping you with your, with your thinking or making sense of a large amounts of data. So we can measure all these different types of things. So we can generate so much data. And the question is, so how do you work with that data? So we believe AI methods sort of join all those massive data sets together to make some kind of prediction, but then also understand, like, what's the important bit that drove that prediction? So it's really a way of helping fuse all that complicated data sets together. And a lot of what we do in drug development is, is optimization. So we use AI to how to sort of pull that genetic information together to kind of come up with that target. But then it's also an optimization about how do you optimize the drug? So, so it's all about making sense of complex data, pulling it all together and helping us sort of optimize, even in what people might think of traditional experiment biology, you know, doing at the lab bench with pipettes and things that you may have seen a large fraction of the day-to-day life of even those sorts of scientists is computational these days. It's everywhere, right? And these people, expert biologists, they're not learning programming. They haven't done a PhD in machine learning. You know, we need to build them tools and things that they can use. That's a great way we interact together. So you're using AI to build a formula or, or a model to improve the entire discovery of new medicines. A model is a tool right, that the human scientists can start to sort of answer these questions, right? And what we like to think is like, we want to automate the boring. We want to take about the boring drudgery sort of stuff out of a scientist's day, right? And we want to then 
be able to use AI methodology to bring all that information together. So when we talk about, you know, models driving the experiment, we think about building a model to solve the problem, right? That a scientist can ask the model what if questions and they can iterate, test their hypotheses against the model and not, you know, they do an experiment, they generate a whole bunch of data, they have to pull it all together, do all this analysis, think about it, go back, you know, that process can take weeks. They spend a lot of time doing what they don't like, you know, just mechanics of putting this all together. So let's automate the boring and sort of allow everybody to do what they're best at, have the experimental feedbacks to make them better. And so they, they iterate over time, the whole thing gets better. So the more experiments we do at GSK, the better our models get. What Kim was talking about was quite different from the traditional model. Historically, drug development meant you as the research team come up with your hypothesis, design studies, and then try to validate that hypothesis. But artificial intelligence changes that entirely. And as Kim would explain, what he's describing is a whole new approach to the concept of knowledge itself. It sounds like the AI approach just completely flips that traditional paradigm on its ear. It's not just about creating a model to solve the problem, it's how you think about the problem itself. It helps you find and solve questions you didn't even know that you have. And the other thing is that we find models are a, a really good way of sort of uh, checking your biases and intuition. Uh, we all like to believe that we're not biased and as everyone has the old joke goes, advertising doesn't work on me, <laughs> it clearly does. And the same thing happens in science, you know, I'm more likely to remember the papers that fit my particular theory or there's a bias in the publication. There's so many things that happen, right? So my understanding of the world is flawed and it, it's biased, but I can have a model and the model, none of them have those things. It only knows what, knows what it's seen and what it's learned. And so it's also an interesting way of actually what we like to do is follow the science, right? Follow the data. I mean, yes, human intuition and your prior experience is important, but if you're completely convinced and the model says, well, I don't think so, all the data, everything else points to something completely different, that's a really interesting scenario to be in. And the model gets better over the time. The model sort of has a memory of all the different things we've done before. The more data we generate, the more we learn from that, the more it goes back into the model and hopefully the model gets better at that particular problem. So we so teach the model how to solve the problem. Then we can ask questions of the model and the scientists can interrogate the model rather than the scientists learning how to solve the problem. So you're building a brain trust of knowledge for others to use, not just now, but over time potentially a lot of time, right? The key thing with that is that nobody works at GSK forever, unfortunately. It's a 300-year-old company, right? But, you know, so how do we keep the memory of all the things we've done before or even the breadth of different things we've got? So we can't keep that in our head, but we can build AI systems that know all these types of things. So that's what we sort of think about building this long-term memory and brain of GSK. So we can leverage the types of information we do. We think in terms of building, every time you do an experiment, you're not only doing it for you, you're doing it for future you or someone else, right? So be very careful about the data you collect and the metadata, make it as useful as possible, right? Every piece sort of stacks into this increasing body of knowledge that we can learn from. So maybe someday your granddaughter comes to work at GSK many years from now, and she can leverage what you did decades ago. Exactly. And, and that's sort of, I mean, obviously not all the world's science happens within GSK. So we do a lot of work in taking AI methods to what we call natural language processing. And we effectively read all the scientific literature all the time as soon as it arrives and these large data sets. And we extract all the information out of it as well. And we kind of bring that back into a sort of a knowledge graph and various representations of that. And that's really important for this idea of building this model because it not only knows about like, you know, 
what granddad did. It also knows about, you know, about, you know, what grandma might have done at, you know, at a rival company, <laughs> uh, you know, 30 years ago as well. So we want to basically establish this continual corpus of knowledge. Every time we run a clinical trial, even if unfortunately it failed, we should be able to learn something. So we increase our probability of success for the next time we do something, right? So this, in, this increasing sort of body of knowledge is you know, what we call stackable knowledge is sort of key to our thinking. And sort of in order to do that, you need to have all the technology to pull all that data together. So in order to build the brain of GSK, you have to have all the little dendrites and things coming out and pulling all the information in from all the different uh, systems. What does stackable knowledge look like in the discovery process or the clinical process? Could you walk us through an example? Yeah. So imagine we've developed, you know, particularly medicine for a disease, right? And it doesn't work out. But we've measured lots of different stuff about that disease, but we've worked out this particular one doesn't work. But we've measured a lot of things about that thing. So that's information, but we can take that information and that can feed back into a model. So each bit of information stacks on what we know. So we're learning more and more and more about rheumatoid arthritis over time, right? So that knowledge starts to stack. So it's not just locked to the individual asset or a particular experiment. It accumulates over time. We're trying to slowly and slowly have more and more and more of everything. And the more data we have, the more we understand things. So that's the idea behind stackable knowledge. I like the visual of stackable knowledge. All of these experiments, whether it's a literal test in a lab or a new kind of project someone tries from their cubicle in another industry, they can all become building blocks. And in that sense, even when an experiment doesn't turn out as planned, it isn't a failure, assuming you learned lessons from it and are building upon it. But not just you, the organization at large a collective knowledge that comes from many different types of thinkers. You're working with new data, new challenges, new everything. Working in drug discovery and development doesn't look the way it did even just a couple of years ago. What kinds of people do you hire to work on these completely new problems? Yeah, so we like to build diverse teams of people and diverse from the usual perspectives you might think of, but also diverse in terms of their backgrounds. So, you know, it's, it's a mathematical discipline, but it's also a, a practical discipline. So there are different ways, different disciplines have ways of solving particular problems. There are different sort of biases and ways of looking at the world. So we have people that are coming in from, you know, particle physics, for example, who have a very different set of mathematical tools and ways of looking at the world to people that come in the world from sort of, you know, pure mathematics, right? And so we have a high correlation of people that come here from a pure math or pure statistics background. They have their types of tools. People that have used quantitative machine learning and decision-making in different domains. So one of our members is a formal naval intelligence officer whose PhD is in natural language processing and things like that. We have geometric topologists and other people who can look at something and say, oh, I've got something in my toolbox, which you guys have never heard about. And it isn't normally used this way, but we could use it like this. And we said, well, well, that's really neat, <laughs> like, you know, and so that kind of thing is really important. So we sort of escape some kind of group think. I mean, that's where innovation sort of magic happens, right? Because we're exchanging ideas and different ways of doing things. You have to bring the mix of all those people together to show impact. So it's really important for us. And the more this becomes a fun place to work, we're doing things, we're doing exciting work. We've got data, we've got interesting problems. We've got feedback cycles. It sort of becomes an accretive network. The more fun that people were happening in machine learning, they're like, oh, you guys are publishing and doing cool stuff. That looks neat. Right? They also want to come and join the circus, as I like to say. So it's really important for us that we have a diverse number of acts in our particular circus at GSK. I understand that you hired a professional violinist. 
I think it's probably important to know that the person who was a professional violinist also has a, uh, you know, a computer science and a math degree. So it's not like um, that actually does indicate the sort of style of thinking. I think it's, it's interesting. We do have quite a, a representation of uh, musicians or various you know, different backgrounds in the group. And I think there is an interesting correlation between music, I think, and, and some of the types of work we've seen. We seem to have more musicians or French horn players and things like that. We could create quite an interesting band at, at, at GSK here. Kim, we're talking about complex artificial intelligence, massive data sets. I mean, you do complicated work. How do you describe to your kids what you do? So right now, both my four-year-old and my eight-year-old have been asking me to build a machine for infinite life, right? So that's, that's the big question. They want dad to work an infinite life machine. You know, and in reality, that's what we're trying to do, right? Like that is what we're trying to do. We are trying to build a machine that makes you live your, your best life. That, that is our, our motto, you know, do more, <laughs> live longer, right? It's in the GSK motto. So I explained to them that, look, you know, we're learning how these various cells happen. We learn how which thing to fix. And then we have to like, you know, generate the data. And they know about AI. We built fun things. We have three cats. So we, we build a little camera that can recognize which cat's inside or not. So we talk about like, we help, you know, build machines to help generate the data, to give it to the scientists so we can help build the machine we want to build, right? The, the big infinite life machine, right? And so that's what I, that's what I tell them what we do. So eight my boys love robots. And they're very disappointed to find out that sometimes not all the AI systems are giant robots working next to the scientists. That unfortunately, that it's just a laptop. But we do actually do have robots to do things, but uh, that's their dream, completely robot scientists. This conversation with Kim showed me how illuminating it can be to examine the traditional ways that we think and work. And sometimes throwing out that historical model altogether. It can be extremely challenging to upend the way we've always done things. It becomes so ingrained over time. But shedding the old paradigm for a new one can lead us to breakthroughs we'd never have achieved otherwise. At GSK, the sheer amount of data now available has helped lead to innovations that never would have been possible before. But only when that fire hose is harnessed through artificial intelligence, which again itself is reinventing the traditional model, even at the very beginning with the hypothesis to be tested. AI also automates the boring, as Kim put it. That frees up human brains to do what they do best, be creative, problem solve, learn how to get to the next breakthrough, not in your own corner of the world, but together. And that is where the concept of stackable knowledge is really important. In this framework, you're never thinking solely about the problem at hand. You're automatically engaged in how what you're doing today can affect those who come after you, whether it's next year or the next generation, all stacking up like little Legos. So today's knowledge gained is a tangible building block to the next level of understanding. It's related, I think, to the familiar idea of institutional knowledge. But instead of that being individualized and then lost when the given employee moves on, stackable knowledge feels much more immediate, concrete, collaborative, and sustainable for success. That's all for this episode. Creativity Equation is produced by FastCo Works in partnership with GSK. KC will be back with a new episode of Creative Conversations next week. I'm Julianne Pepitone. Our producer is Avery Miles.